Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. And when I say world famous, I mean world famous. We are huge in Spain and Saudi Arabia over the past three months, Joseph. Huge. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News and the co-host of this podcast, Jason Luber. I am the corporate pedestrian and alternative transportation advocate, Joseph Peters. <laughs> Pleasure to be your here, ti- my friend. Your title is like pudding. <laughs> You're also executive producer of the evening newscast here at Denver 7 News and my boss. Uh, we're also heard uh, in other countries around the world uh, pinging on the, um, uh, on the uh, trending of where we're being listened to. Uh, it was Japan, Canada, and France, and also the mother country, the U.K., um, so, so that's good. We're worldwide now. Correct. At least in those six countries. And shout out to Saudi Arabia, man. We love you guys. Oh, yeah. We, and Spain. Yeah. I don't know why we're huge in Spain, but uh, for some reason, there's a lot of downloads coming, coming in from Spain. So as I start the show, we have a couple of examples of airline passengers behaving badly. Because we talk about anything here on the show, whether it's anything that gets you from here to there. But especially if you're an airline passenger behaving badly. We do love these stories. Uh, and when you're on an airplane... Have you ever thought uh, that the front door or the back door, the doors to get out of the airplane, have they ever looked to you like the door to the bathroom? No. There was a man on a plane in India who sent the other passengers into a panic because he tried to open the door in the back of the plane because he thought it was the door to the bathroom. My first question would be, uh, sir... Why would the bathroom door have a thick, long, red rope-like contraption there across the outside of it, as if to keep people away and keep people from opening it? A very good question. Sir, why, why would you want to think that that is the bathroom door? Mm-hmm. The passenger who was in the back of the plane was intercepted by the crew before the door could be opened, and when fellow passengers asked him what he was doing, he told them he needed to use the washroom urgently. And kept tugging at the exit door. <laughs> so urgently that he needed to get off the plane. <laughs> Apparently, that would have been the, uh, the ultimate urgent exit. Uh, the other passengers say he was a first-time flyer in his late 20s. So maybe that was the only logical explanation this man could have to think that the exit door was the bathroom door. No, there's no logical explanation. Use some common sense, young man in your early 20s, flying for the first time. And like, really, there's no way, if, even if you tried to do that, the, the, the pressure of, of, of opening that door and trying to, you know, because the cabin's pressurized and the outside mm-hmm. with the high and low pressure deal that you're dealing Can with. Can you imagine be the, being the person who watched him try to do it? Oh, no, and, you freak out. And having to get in his way and be like, what, why, why, no. Freak out. <laughs> That's a freak out moment. All right, in the second story, I present to you a man who was flying through the Indira Gandhi Airport, and he was arrested by their customs department there. For allegedly trying to smuggle in one kilogram of gold by hiding it in his rectum. Rectum? Damn near killed him. Where else would you hide it? Definitely ruined him. (laughs) Those are my only jokes with that one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so after a detailed baggage examination, because apparently the man was not uh, (sighs) passing muster. I guess is that that's not even the right term, is it? No, he, I he don't know if there's a right term for this story. Anyway, the 24-year-old passenger was detained for an additional personal body search, and it was then that they discovered the accused had hidden nine gold bars weighing one kilogram, it's about two and a quarter pounds, inside 
his backside. Total two and a half pounds, right? Yes. So yeah. imagine having two and a half pounds or two and a quarter pounds of gold going in where it's an exit only. Typically an exit only. Typically. I'm like going to vomit thinking about this story. Now, the gold bars were valued at about 40 grand. So I guess he was probably trying to smuggle them to not pay taxes or some other ill-gotten booty. Mm. <laughs> ill-gotten booty. Uh, presumably, uh, they were the gold bars were washed and disinfected as they were seized. I can only hope they were disinfected. I mean, the passenger was arrested. I don't know if he was disinfected, but I sure hope those gold bars were disinfected. Imagine being the person who has to get them out. No, I don't want to imagine that. I could only hope that he went to a room into a bucket or something like right, that where he just right. you know, had to imagine that x-ray picture. Oh, well, these past two stories, Joseph, gets me to this bigger story and I think more impactful story uh, that the days of the little bit of leg room and all that cramped seating on the airplanes that you have to endure might soon be over. Oh, that would be a miracle. If, and I say if, a recently introduced bill in Congress makes its way through the House and the Senate, which it's likely to do, and then the bill would be heading for the president's desk. Now, this bill would require the FAA to set minimum standards for seat width and leg room. That would be welcome news, because you know a lot of these guys who are congressmen and senators fly back and forth to their home states just about every weekend. Mm-hmm. And so they can uh, tell you firsthand how tough it is to be a quote-unquote business traveler uh, because they are traveling a lot. Now, the bill would also prohibit involuntary bumping of passengers who have already boarded their flights so we wouldn't have the United Airlines dragging the doctor, kicking and screaming, cutting his you know face off the plane mm-hmm. by the police <laughs> officers anymore. Hopefully never again. Uh, The bill would mean a number of other significant changes for airline travel, including a minimum of a 10-hour rest period between work shifts for flight attendants and a minimum size and number of airplane uh, airplane lavatories. Hopefully enough that people don't think that the bathroom is the outside. No kidding, but I mean, like, hopefully this is more than just, like, the minimum is one. Right. Because at that point, it's like, okay, great. And I don't think they're going to retrofit the airplanes currently in service to have more than what there are three on there for the most of the airplanes that you fly on now, two in the back and one in the front. I don't think they're going to retrofit that, but it's just going to keep them from, let's say, taking the two in the back away so they can put some more seats on the airplane and everybody has to squeeze into the one in the front. Can I just tell you, I had never thought that airplane airlines might try to get rid of some of the lavatories in the airplane. And now, like, what kind of monster would reduce the number of bathrooms available to you on a plane? Spirit Airlines. There are so many bad <laughs> things that can happen on a plane like don't do that i know you, you just think about that uh there's also going to be new ser- uh, standards for service animals we've talked about that in the past how they're working on those new standards where it would be just uh work dogs for the most part as your service animal a long time coming and a mandate that large airports provide nursing rooms for new mothers also there's a already long time coming. Yes, yeah. and there are some of those already. I think in some airports, at least I've seen those uh, rooms, those portable rooms, where the women can go in there and uh, feed if they need to. In Denver's airport, they just opened their room within the last two years, maybe even within the last year, I believe. Now, the average amount of leg room on airplanes has shrunk from 35 inches to just 31 
And some major airlines have wanted to go even smaller, but then have been criticized for even suggesting it. But that didn't stop some of the ultra-low carriers, like Spirit and Frontier, from going to 28 inches. But these new regulations, I believe, take it back up to 31. Well, are they so they're going to retrofit those planes, right? Well, they would have to then at least give you some more leg room on those if this bill is passed into law, which it hasn't happened yet. Those frontier planes, man, zero leg room, that and is, they're not very comfortable. No, but I mean, it would be slightly more comfortable if I could at least stretch my legs out without kicking the person in front of me. That's why I like to sit in the aisle seat because I can actually uh, stretch my legs out a little bit more. Yep. yep. Uh, but that also, I get a airplane ticket. For forty dollars. Now I have to pay the twenty five bucks for the for the bags, and if I want to get some other accoutrements on the airplane, sure, pick my seat and all that sort of thing. If I'm flying with my family, I'm more likely to buy seats. If I'm not, I won't. I'll just take what they give me. I love being in the middle seat because I am a large man, and what can I do about that? <laughs> I can't change it. Now, the more people they can get on the plane, the more money. They get for each flight. I mean, that's obviously why they have the seats so close together. Um, And I don't have a problem with any company making money. I mean, make as much money as as you can. Uh, I I just hope that I'm able to get a fair price for fair service from a company that cares that I'm doing business with them. I I guess that's my only deal with companies. But otherwise, they can make as much money as they want. Now, some people don't want companies to make any money. They just think they're there at the bidding of the people, which is not the case. That's not how the market economy works. Too bad, too. I mean, if we could all have 38 inches of legroom on every flight, I think we'd be a happier society. I mean, I would like to just be able to get on and know that I can get onto any airplane and not have my knees crammed into my chin when I'm sitting there for three and a half or four hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that, really, that is why I do prefer the aisle seat. Um even though the baggage, or not the baggage thing, but that, uh, but the drink cart comes, you know, rolling by, and sometimes they'll hit me in the shoulder, and eh, it's fine, whatever. And some people in the in the row has to get out and go to the bathroom. Okay, that's fine. I get to stand up for a little bit. We're just two tall white guys complaining about being tall and white. Yes. Well, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, this really presents a problem for Americans now because a third of Americans are basically obese, technically obese. Now I would con- con- not, I'm not considering myself obese. I-, I would consider myself overweight. If you looked at my BMI, I don't know if it would consider me obese or not, but I know it's it's more than it should be. Um, uh, see, the average man now they say weighs 195 pounds. I'm 30 pounds over. Well, I guess 35 pounds over that. Um, I should probably be around 200 to 210 pounds, mm-hmm. but I'm not. Um, that 195 is a very aspirational number. I'm also above average in that regard. <laughs> I would have to, uh, I would have to pretty much go on the, uh, let's say, how can I say this nicely? Let's go the ISIS diet, where you're a prisoner with ISIS <laughs> and they're not feeding you. Or should I just say the um, you're stranded on a deserted island? Diet. No, stick with the ISIS diet. I you like that's that better? Much better. Well, but that guy from Lost, he never, did he lose any weight? I don't, it was a TV show, man. <laughs> okay. The average woman, they say, is about 165 pounds. They would never tell you that. No, <laughs> no, no never in public, that too. Um, and some, you know, they have some airlines that have uh, requirements that if you're really big, that you have to buy two seats. 
or you have to get one of those extenders for the seatbelt so it'll fit all the way around you. Um, and that's got to be awkward when you get on the airplane. And Because uh, I, I have heard stories of, of people, especially men, who are too big to fit in the seat, and they don't mention that they need to buy two seats. They just go over the one. They're just going to try to get on the airplane. And then the flight attendants look at them and say, well, sir, you, you clearly don't fit in this seat with the extender or without. It's not, uh, it's not safe to have you on this airplane if we have to all get out really fast. By the same token, I mean, if, if, if I'm buying an airline seat, I'm just buying one. I don't care how much I weigh. I'm only buying one. Yeah. So. Well, exactly. And, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. And I, like I said, like you said, we, we could stand to lose a few pounds. That's not going to happen before my next flight in two weeks. Um, Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Well, the, I mean. We, we can have make next week the dieting, you crazy podcast and everything. <laughs> I go on the 10-day diet, 10 diet cleanse or something oh, before going to I would pay to Florida. see that. No, that's not going to be good. Now, these proposed regulations are part of a larger funding bill for FAA programs. And it's expected to be passed, but some members of Congress think that the president might veto it. Uh, no one knows exactly what he's going to do for sure. I think that's the case probably for most circumstances involving the president. Now, do I hope he signs it? Yes, I do. Um, do I think he will sign it? Probably not. Because I, I think that, in general, he doesn't like regulations. And if this puts more regulations on... The airlines, I think he tends to shy away from that. I, I don't know. I, I think some of these are common sense. Well, he also likes doing unpopular things. So right. there's no reason for him to not to veto this. And if he does pass this into law, I really hope that it doesn't then mean for higher prices for all of us who are going to be flying. Because if some of these airlines, especially the lower cost, the uh, real discount airlines... If they then have to go from 28 inches to 31 and they lose a couple of seats on the airplanes, and that's really their business model, cram as many people as they can on the airplanes to make money, that way they can give you these $60 fares, then are their fares going to go up? Already some of the airlines, the major airlines, have increased their bag fees to $30. That started recently, up from $25 for the first carry-on bag. Now, now Southwest still has... No carry-on or no checked bag fee, which is which is welcome. Right. That's why it's a competitive advantage, but also their fares are a little bit higher in general than the other airlines because that's how they're recouping their cost. Now, let me ask you this. Why, why do you think that no company has tried to pass a no carry-on bag policy? It would be just so wildly unpopular. I mean, it's got to be coming, right? Like, like to the point where women can't even take a purse on an airplane. Well, uh, most of the time it was about weight. Mm-hmm. Because everything on an aircraft, because flying, you know, in in the helicopter for as long as I used to have the pilot yell at me for being uh, as big as I am, because I I basically am an hour's worth of fuel. So he that that's how you equate things in aircrafts is by weight. So if you can really limit the weight, one of the reasons they have the fifty pound limit is not because they're well one because they're baggage handlers. They don't want them throwing around fifty pound or eighty pound or hundred pound bags, right? Because it can r- wreck them. But also, it's about then they know about how many bags are on, and if each one weighs at least less than fifty pounds, they can calculate the weight and balance before they take off. So, um, I, I think that's a big part of what they uh, of what they do. W- will they ever ban everybody k- taking personal items on the plane? I, I I can't ever see that happening, or at least like a nominal five dollar charge on a carry on bag. Well, even that you you still need women need their purse. Right. I mean, you still need to carry something. You can't carry everything in your pockets, 
when you get on the airplane, right? It's true. I have, I believe me, Jason, I have worn six layers of clothing, so I would have a full change of clothes <laughs> on an airplane. Well, and we've done stories, and I've seen stories about people doing that, wearing all of their clothes, yep. or taking a quote-unquote a jacket that has pockets all over it, that that's where they're storing their clothes. You, you damn right. I'm not paying a baggage fee for some of these things. I wouldn't be surprised to see these baggage fees, though, for carry-on bags and check bags go up to thirty-five or forty-five or fifty dollars for the first bag. I could see that happening in the next ten years. But then uh, there's there's always a point for anything of revolt by people, mm-hmm. and they, at, at some point they will say, I, "I'm just we're not going to do this anymore." We're not. They're either going to complain to Congress and they're going to you know get freaked out about it, or there will be fewer people flying. Um, or, the, you know, it's just like anything else. What you tax, uh, and we, we've talked about this, what, what you tax, you get less of. What you incentivize, you get more of. Mm-hmm. So if they, in, in essence, these bag fees are a tax, and if they fee, more of, uh, fee us more, then we will find other ways to get it done. And I think that's coming. I mean, I think if Frontier stops offering $60 flights, I'm going to stop taking Frontier. Right. So that, you know, And the same thing with Spirit. Yeah. And But you know going in... That let's say on Southwest the fare is a hundred and fifty dollars, but on Frontier the fare is sixty dollars. But then you have to add your other fees, but it's still usually less than what Southwest is charging, or United or Delta or a- any of the others. So it is a competitive advantage for Frontier and Spirit to do that. And then you belong to their little discount clubs, whatever the case may be, and then you could save more money if if you're willing to put up with it. Right. But if that gap closes, I mean. I- People pay a premium for Southwest right. right now for a reason. Yes. And I, I I like Southwest. I like their service. I like their planes. I like having the ability to watch shows on my on my device while I'm flying. I've never had an experience on Southwest where I was like, this sucks. Right. Compared to Frontier and Spirit, where it's like the only thing I think about the entire time I'm on the plane is how much it sucks that I have to fly Frontier or Spirit. Especially when you get onto that Frontier plane and, and the tray table is really no bigger than my hand. Right. And they're charging you $4 for a can of soda. Yes. So you bring on your own soda. But then it costs you $4 when you get into the airplane or into the airport to go buy it. I'm booking my next flight on Southwest right now. You've (laughs) you've sold me, man. Because I I, I always bring an empty bottle with me through security because that's okay. You can always bring empty bottles and fill it up with water or whatever the case may be. Uh, But, of course, it's going to cost you more money to get a, a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever you want. Uh, when you're inside the airport. Of course, those are way more expensive than you could buy them outside the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. There's gonna, There would be a tipping point, a breaking point at some point. And th- there was another interesting part of this bill for me. That is, it would enshrine in law the prohibition on passengers of making cell phone calls while in flight. It would also ban the use of e-cigarettes, which seems smart. But they will, because there were there was a time when some of the airlines had had talked about, and I think it was Delta, had talked about allowing people to use their their phone to make calls during the flight, because it's not a it's not a it's not an issue of technology. the The, the airplane is not going to crash because you are talking on your phone. Correct. But it will be annoying as all all get out if you have two hundred people on an airplane at the same time all talking on their phone. It will also be a safety issue if there is a problem with the aircraft. You have some turbulence. You have, uh, God forbid, an engine goes out and there has to be an emergency landing. You're crashing, whatever the case may be. 
to have 200 people who were on their phone right at that moment when the emergency happens and then get their attention to stop talking on the, on the phone and listen to the flight attendants, listen to the pilot, and give you emergency instructions. I think that's really what it comes down to. Not that it's all, you know, you sitting in, in seat 18D is going gonna, is gonna to have uh, some kind of cell phone interference into the cockpit. Well, I do think that was the issue at one point, though, right? Was no, that there was going to be some I, level of interference I between the I flew on a helicopter where we had a microwave transmitter on the bottom of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. A microwave transmitter strong enough to send a signal 50 miles away. I don't think that you could have a cell phone that is that powerful, and it never mentioned, it never messed up any of the instruments in the aircraft. The same kind of instruments you're going to see in one of these big aircrafts. Yeah, it might be a little bit more computerized in the bigger airplanes, but for the most part, it never affected any of the aircraft um, instruments or gauges or dials or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But you can't have 200 people on the cell phones all at the same time talking. And you know how when you're in a room, you have oh, a couple I... of people talking, and, and it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dim roar, and then you have a couple more people, they start talking a little bit louder. Well, then these people have to talk a little bit louder to hear over those people, and then, and then, and then those people start talking louder over those people, and everybody's talking louder over everybody else, and it gets to the point where it's a loud roar. Well, I've ridden the bus, and what happens on the bus is that one person is on their cell phone, and everybody is listening to that person's conversation. Right. And that's really, that I too. think, what the danger is on the plane, is that you've got one person in a crowd of 50, and they're on the phone, and everybody else is wondering, why is this person talking, and why won't they shut up? It would just make it so uncomfortable and so annoying to be on an airplane for that long and with that many people just freewheeling it on the phone. It would just be really annoying. The bill also... I thought it was interesting. Makes it unlawful for any person to place a live an- animal in the overhead storage compartment. Now, I, I, I know we, we did the story about that one animal that was put in the overhead bin, and I didn't think we would ever hear about it before that, and I would be surprised if we ever heard about it after that. A- and I'm a little bit surprised that they actually had to put that into writing. Well, I'm glad they did. Common sense. The people should be able to be prosecuted if they're putting chihuahuas in the overhead bin. This bill would also authorize the return of supersonic transport with reduced sonic booms. But that was always the reason the Concorde, when it was in service, could only fly away from the United States and have be in coastal airports like New York or Boston or Washington and fly over the ocean. Then you have the sonic boom and off they go to Europe and not fly across the United States because there's a company right here in Colorado that's trying to develop a supersonic airplane that would fly basically domestically. And they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of the boom, or at least this would allow for that airplane then to be used here in the United States. Imagine a world where you live near the airport where supersonic flight is taking place, and you just have to hear boom after boom after boom all day long. Yes, that would be annoying. And that is coming. If if this becomes a real thing, that is coming. But imagine if you were in Boston and you could get on that same supersonic airline and be in L.A. in an hour. So I think the boom is the coolest thing in the world, right? right. Like every anytime you see a plane going that fast and you just hear that noise, it's like that is American power right there. This bill also uh, directs the FAA to establish an office of spaceports to provide guidance, support licensing for these spaceports, and promote infrastructure improvements for future space 
travel. We have one that's being developed out to the east side of town, just south of uh, Denver International Airport. A uh, whole spaceport infrastructure right there. I mean, we are the future here in Colorado. We are the infrastructure, and we are the future, and and we are the Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, take that, North Dakota. <laughs> you don't think they're going to have a spaceport? Uh, no, no. I think Arizona, New Mexico, I think one of the, I think either or both are working on one as well. Well, the start of any new venture, there are bound to be problems and setbacks, right? Unfortunately, these problems are new riders on these dockless scooters. And they're being killed, people are, uh, because of collisions or, or crashes. Now, there have been two recent incidents involving these scooters, including the death of a man near Washington, D.C., after a collision with an SUV. Now, the news reports that I have seen indicate it was a 20-year-old man who was hit by an SUV and then dragged about 20 yards. He was pinned under the SUV. He was uh, removed there by the first responders. He unfortunately later died at the hospital. And the other death was in Dallas when a young man, 24 years old, he fell off a scooter he was riding, and then he died, they say, from the blunt force trauma of hitting his head on the, on the pavement. Jeez. He obviously wasn't wearing a helmet. Although I was reading that the family believes he may have been involved in a hit-and-run crash and that he actually didn't lose control, but he was hit by a vehicle or clipped by a vehicle, then crashed because they say he was very good and he would never have fallen down. I was going to say he would have decelerated if it was just him and he would have lost enough speed where he wouldn't have had that level of blunt force But they found the scooter like 50 feet away from him so they were saying he was going very fast that's lost control the scooter kept going um while after he wiped out i don't i'm not a forensics person and i haven't looked at this that does not sound possible i think the family's right there but i would have to take a closer look well then that's what they're uh, and that's what they're going to look at and this is all at the same time that uh, california governor jerry brown he already signed into law a bill that eliminated the requirement for e-scooter riders to wear helmets. That's stupid. That's, well, that's just the companies need the liability of saying we told you to wear a helmet. Well, the, I think it was Lime who was the main backer of that bill. Interesting. And there are a lot of people, as I was reading, who in California are under eighteen who are riding these things, and these kids are getting busted for riding these scooters underage, and it's a really significant ticket. So they're getting a ticket for riding underage, and they're getting a, a ticket for not wearing a helmet. Well, that's part of this uh, legislation. So then these kids would be able to ride these scooters, not you know really technically legally because they're still illegal for kids under 18 to, to use them. However, then, then what officer is going to then, hey, show me your ID, see, see, unless some kid looks like they're eight right. riding on this thing. If somebody's in the in the close zone 16 17 uh, do you really think they're going to get pulled over no and you would think that that's the generation that needs these scooters because they don't have cars to get around and they use them to get over to school a lot of kids use them to go to school to high school so maybe the cops are just waiting near the high school and then pulling these kids over and then writing them a ticket if they're underage and some of the kids are using the scooters to get away from the school as well let's you know be honest. but but i'm not surprised that so many people are getting hurt by these things we've read stories about them getting hurt um i'm surprised that we haven't seen more people being killed uh, as they're riding it uh, on these scooters. Well, especially surprising considering these things are really popular, and I, and I think for good reason. I mean, they're, they're, we've talked about this yeah. before. The convenience in a city like Denver is 
so underrated. If I had a car, I don't know if I would take it to a lot of the places I need to go because these scooters are so convenient. I saw yesterday a guy, I'm driving down uh, Logan Street here, and all of a sudden I have the green light. I've had the green light for at least 10 to 15 seconds. Uh, as I'm approaching the intersection, and here comes some guy and one of his little scooters crossing against the light uh, right in front of me. And so I'm hitting the brakes and honking at him, and, and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. But they have to continue to follow the laws just like I would. But the flip side of it is the good citizens. I watched a woman in a business dress and high heels, three-inch high heels on one of these scooters, clearly getting from like point A business meeting to point B business meeting, following all the rules of the road, swerving in and out of people to make sure that she wasn't hitting anybody. And we do have those kind of scooter riders as well, and I think they're the, really the majority. Yeah, but, but they are vulnerable to falls. They're vulnerable to crashing into other scooters or people or bicycles or cars. And the danger of these things, I think, is only going to go up as more and more people use them. I mean, they're, they're fun. They're super fun. Now, when I lived downtown, this is forever ago, I used to have one of those gas-powered scooters. Same exact kind of concept, except it had a little engine on the back of it that was the same engine that you would have on a, uh, on a lawn trimmer. A little two-cycle right. uh, where you had to mix the gas and the oil together, right? Uh-huh. And so you just fill it up and, and hit the gas and off you go. And it was, it was great. It was a great way for me to get around downtown at a time where there were fewer people in downtown, fewer cars around downtown. Um, there weren't any bike lanes. I'm, we're talking, goodness, how long ago was this? This had to be at least 20 years ago, maybe right. 20. Yeah, at least 20 years ago um, when I was scooting around downtown. Um, and it was it was really was an easy way to get around. Um, the you, cops never really hassled me. Um, you were on sidewalks though, right? Not not in the road. So both, much. both. Okay, on both. And you know what? Sometimes I would do is since I personally owned it, I would actually drive. Let's say I was going to the Rockies game. I would used to love to do it for that. I would put the scooter in my trunk, drive to one of the areas on the other side of downtown where the parking was free or, or at least a lot cheaper. Pay five dollars to park or a couple of dollars to park get my scooter, park it over there, lock it up at uh, Coors Field, go to the game where I'm not paying $25 to park. Right. Um, and, and it was a great way to get to work And when I was working downtown. Um, and, and so I, I obviously, 20 years later, see the benefit of those things, but it was dangerous for me even then when there were fewer dangers for me to deal with. Well, and they're, they're a menace to people on the sidewalk, man. Like the this, this scooter you just described, if you're in the middle of like the 16th Street Mall – and you're trying to ride up and down the cobblestones or even one of the auxiliary streets off of that, it is the last thing I want as a pedestrian is something doing 15 miles an hour behind me and trying to get around me when I'm in a tight crunch of people. And what's an even bigger menace is the motorized bicycles that are now being peddled in this city right. by Lime and Lyft and other companies like that because the, I'm telling you, man, those things go pretty close at like 25 miles an hour. And that, that thing has no business being on a sidewalk, but too many people look at the sidewalk and say, this is the easiest way to get around. So let me take my freaking motorcycle <laughs> on the sidewalk and go in fa as fast as possible. And, and these scooters, they're electric. The bike's electric. They're quiet. You, you, you don't really hear them coming. They, mm -hmm. they, they make maybe a slight hum. With, with, with the deal that I had, it, it's, it's like a, a, a lawn trimmer. I mean, you cannot miss the sound of this thing. Exactly. It was loud. And when you, you could hear it from blocks away. So I didn't surprise anybody. It was on the sidewalk, and you as you could use the Doppler effect and and know that I'm coming your way. Um, it, 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 so I think it was different also in that regard, where I think I was safer because people knew I was around. 
Just like that theory about the Harley riders who say they like the really loud motorcycle so you know they're around. Those people are the worst. But there's also yes, a point, man. Those, those motorcycles can get lost in a blind spot real quick. Yes, they do. Now, I think one of the solutions to this issue, and one for which the e-scooter companies and their investors have been advocating, are protected lanes that would allow the e-scooters to be operated more safely. I think we should double up the bike lanes since we're going to have these bike lanes anyway. You should have the bike lanes slash e-scooter lanes and make them into one mobile transport deal where they can all use it at the same time. Frankly, I mean, we're at the point in this city where we need to be talking about which streets are going to be alternative transport streets. And maybe you're right. Maybe we do that. Instead of having, let's say, like obviously Broadway, they're trying to do a mixed use. Maybe you go a couple of streets uh, off Broadway and it's only... Bikes, scooters, pedestrians. I mean, I and I think, you know, maybe we alternate. Like, one's alternative, one's a road, one's alternative, one's a road. Because we're trying to encourage more people to bike and take scooters, and I, I don't see any reason why we can't triple that population. But you're going to have to accommodate them in a way that we're not accommodating them right now. No, I think typically you're going to get some pushback from first responders who might need to get to somebody's house who is uh, who's living on one of those streets who is, let's say, but unless they have full access to drive on those, even when they are just a sl- bike, scooter, pedestrian, whatever. There's no, in, in fact, I would I would argue that bikes and scooters can get out of your way if you're a first responder quicker than cars can. Now, Bird has publicly offered to help fund new infrastructure in some cities that will get this done. Uh, another possible answer could be uh, to mandate the use of helmets in most of the cities that these things are being used. However, obviously, in California, they have a different idea um, where Governor Brown signed that bill where they don't need a helmet anymore. I don't think you need to have a helmet here uh, unless you're under 18, but you're not supposed to wear it if you're under 18 or ride these things if you're under 18 anyway. Same thing with the motorcycle law. It's the same uh, motorcycle law that we have here. I think it it applies to the scooters. Mm -hmm. If you're under 18, you have to wear a helmet. If you're over 18, I don't think you have to. Um, is the same kind of thing. But it really made me think of that Instagram page I saw recently. It's called um, Bird Graveyard. That's what it is. And it's basically a collection of videos on Instagram of people trying to destroy these scooters. There are some of them that are thrown off of, like, multi-story parking decks, and then they go crashing down to the, the bottom. Some, they have them run over by trucks, big pickup trucks with the huge tires. They'll run over them. Some are ridden, and then they are sent flying downstairs. They'll jump off and send them downstairs to crash into a wall or whatever. I saw one that was actually put into a garbage can in a Subway restaurant. All you saw were the handlebars sticking up out of the uh, the round hole where you're supposed to put your trash. Mm-hmm. That's where the scooter was, and you could see the handlebar. Oh and then goodness. they walk in, and they ask the guy, have you seen one of those lime scooters to the you know the guy making your sandwich? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about, as they're videoing. This lime scooter in, in the trash can. So this reminds me of 18, 24, 30, right? Because I'm about to turn 30, and 18-year-old me, 24-year-old me, and 30-year-old me react very differently to things. So 18-year-old me would have thought B- Bird Graveyard was hilarious. Right. 24-year-old me also thinks Bird Graveyard is hilarious, but has friends who can like execute those videos and might actually go do it. 30-year-old me still thinks it's hilarious <laughs> but now i have to just roll my eyes at it and be like those kids yeah. don't do that i i saw some that were hanging from light poles and street signs um there was one that was mostly buried in the sand after it was tossed off the santa monica pier um i thought that was one of the more creative ones 
We're not going to do one of these videos, right? No, we're not. Um, but as, as, I was, as I was watching some of these videos, I was thinking, as my daughters tell me, if they see something that, that they don't like, they go, Daddy, that's not princessy. That's, that's the baseline. So if something's not nice, if it's not sweet, it's not princessy. And this was definitely not princessy. I disagree. You think it was princessy? I think it was princessy. Really? Yep. To throw a scooter off into the ocean and I... watch it get buried in the sand? What princess are you talking about? Flynn Rider? <laughs> you don't you have no idea what I'm I talking about. I have no idea who Flynn Rider is. Flynn Rider, yeah. Eugene Fitzherbert. Again, no idea, what nothing. Are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mentioning Disney characters because I can. Okay, uh, which movie are they from? Rapunzel, same guy, um, just different okay. names. Rapunzel okay. from the Rapunzel. I know Jesse from Toy Story. Well, there you go. There's yeah. Jesse. Jesse would be thrown with bird scooters. No. Um, oh, it was now his name just for uh, uh, Nick. No, it's not Nick. It's um. Oh, what's that kid's name in Toy Story? Sid. Sid. There you go. go. I knew it. Yeah, we Sid. finally got to a movie that I know. There you <laughs> go. Sid would definitely be we destroy every scooter that he could find. It only took ninety three episodes, but we're finally talking about a movie. But but to your point, don't feel so bad because it usually takes them about two or three weeks to recoup the cost of a new scooter uh, after renting it out for about two or three weeks. Wow. Because they really aren't that expensive, and they're charging a dollar to unlock it, and then what fifteen cents a, a minute or a mile or whatever the case may be. So. They're making enough money on these these scooters in a couple of weeks to, to pay for them outright. It's this rare blend where it's just expensive enough where they can turn a real profit and just cheap enough that it's like, sure, why not? Yeah. It's only two bucks. Well, there you go. There are many, many traffic terms out there, Joseph, and there is something in the traffic world known as the Dutch reach. Now, I know most of the terms in the traffic world, but I can honestly say that this is the first time I am hearing of this term, and frankly, that's terrifying me, that I didn't know this term. Uh, how we heard about it is from an email that was sent to the newsroom by a gentleman who says, in part in his email, I'm emailing a number of driving schools in the Denver area to ask whether you are teaching your students the Dutch reach. I don't know the curriculum for driving schools and how they're set, but I would strongly urge you to consider including this as part of yours. Warm regards, David Arbuckle. Wanting to know more about the Dutch Reach uh, and more about his campaign, I decided to ask Mr. Arbuckle onto the show, and he's joining us now. Hello, David. I'm doing great. How are you? Just fantastic. Before we get into what is the Dutch Reach, tell us why this is so important to you. Is there any uh, backstory here? Well, not really. My car was in the shop, and I'm taking an Uber, and the fellow was telling me how driving schools today are, are teaching kids things that are a little bit different um, from what I'd learned before. And, and that kind of just jogged my memory that this Dutch reach was a thing that nobody does. And as a cyclist in Denver who rides around kind of on the bike paths, uh, especially down here on Winecoop Street, you know, that, it stood out to me that, well, maybe one way to, to make it a little bit safer uh, for me in, in the future is to invest in people who are learning to drive now. So what exactly is, if people don't know, what exactly is the Dutch Reach? So, so the Dutch Reach is, it's a way of opening your car door that helps reduce the risk of you dooring uh, cyclists. So if somebody's riding their bike in the bike lane and you swing your door open wide um, and the cyclist doesn't see it in time, that's, that's called a dooring. They hit the door, or they swerve into traffic. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty dangerous situation. So with the Dutch Reach, 
the driver reaches across their body with their right arm to open the door. And, and when they do that, their body kind of rotates so that they can look behind them uh, and make sure that there's, there's nothing approaching. So the move is actually using your right hand, since we're all driving on the left side of the car. So you're using your opposite hand, basically, than you're used to when you're trying to get out of the car. That's it, yep. So before we were talking this week, a couple days ago, I, I was uh, doing trying to do this, and, and it, it felt awkward when I was reaching over to open the door with my right hand, but I, I didn't feel like I was naturally then looking behind or outside of the car before then opening the whole whole car door. It just felt like I was awkwardly opening the door with a, with a hand that, let, let, let's say if I broke my left hand, that's the way I'd be opening the door. Right. I mean, I think that the movement is, is kind of awkward. Um, it's something that they teach in, in some of the Scandinavian driving schools, and it's something that's actually legislated as part of the uh, driving curriculum in the state of Illinois. And I think that when it's taught, they, they teach a backwards look as well. Well, and to your point, for somebody who's been opening their door with the near hand the whole time, doing it with the opposite hand forces you to do a different movement and make you think more about what you're doing, right? Yeah, it's, it's almost like a, a forcing function. You know, you, you have to think about how you're opening the door, and, and maybe as a part of that, you'll think, well, what if there's something on the other side of the door heading towards me? And I presume this is the same move for people that would be in the back seat, yes? Yep. Now, how does this make it safer for people who are riding their bikes or one of those uh, e-scooters or whatever that happen to be in the bike lane? So the idea is, if drivers are looking behind them and they don't swing their doors open fast, those guys get to stay in the bike lane. Uh, maybe they get a chance to slow down when they see a door partially open or open slowly. Or, or maybe, you know, they just pass oblivious and the driver waits for the, the obstruction to be cleared. Now, how often does that happen? I mean, I, it feels to me like it would have to be incredibly unlucky for somebody to open their door at the appropriate time to hit a bicyclist. What seems like it would be more likely is somebody irresponsibly swings their door all the way open and that all of a sudden they're completely obstructing the bike lane without looking where they're going. Right. It's definitely uh, a timing issue. The city of Denver actually uh, commissioned a study on this a few years back, and, and they found that of all reported incidents, these doorings are, are really only around 2% of, of injuries related to, to cycling in this city. Um, just anecdotally, in my experience as a cyclist, you know, probably this happens to me a couple of times a year. Uh, wow. where a door swings open and, and, I'm, and I'm close to it and in, in a bit of danger. So, you know, I've, I've been doing this, riding my bike for five years in the city, um, and I look for motorists in the rearview mirrors and in their cars and, and generally adjust my behavior uh, around that. But, you know, with all these the e-scooters on the road and, and people using the bike lane who maybe aren't accustomed to it, the risk might be elevated from just a few years ago. And, and Denver's really been investing in more and more bike lanes. So, I think this might be something that, that changes over time. So what do you think the obligation is then for the people on the scooters or on the bikes in the bike lanes to be watching for somebody that, that might uh, unintentionally door them? I, I, I assume that all these are pretty unintentional. Right. I hope that nobody's intentionally uh, dooring cyclists. That would be bad. Um, yeah. The obligation is actually on, on the driver. I think it's, it's a civil penalty. If you open your door and obstruct a bike lane or traffic uh, that way, you know, but I, I, I do think that, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon people who are sharing the road to, 
to share it responsibly and, and to watch out for hazards. You know, I, I would just urge people to, to be cautious and, and pay attention to this when they're out in the bike lanes. You know, it's funny you brought up uh, things in the bike lane. Obviously, we both follow the Instagram things in the bike lane. As, and as a cyclist, I'm sure you've seen plenty of trucks and other things blocking your way when you're on your go, trying to get from point A to point B. How big of a problem do you think that is in the city of Denver? I don't know. I, I don't really suffer from that. Um, it happens, in, and I just join traffic. So do you think it's overblown then? Because, I mean, we follow a couple of pages who would lead you to believe that there are perpetually things in every bike lane in downtown Denver. Well, I mean, now that you mention it, about once or twice a week, just going down Winecoop Street, I'll, I'll encounter things in the bike lane, whether it's people with luggage or farmer's market trucks parked out that way. And, and they've done a lot to, to kind of prevent that. You know, they've, they've started building protected bike lanes. I think there is one on Winecoop for the uh, the west direction. And they built another one up off of um, either uh, Champa or Stout Street uh, heading east out of the city. Uh, so that's, that's just one of the things that, that the city is doing to, to kind of keep stuff out of the bike lane and, and create these sort of arterial bike lanes. So in your email to uh, the newsroom, you were talking about taking your campaign to driving schools around Colorado. Have you done that? And what has been their reaction so far? So I've contacted about 10 driving schools um, over their email, and I don't know how often they check their email, but, but really nobody's responded to that, which is you know, kind of unfortunate, a sad showing. I don't know that I'm done. I might call a couple and just ask around, but it, it seems like the direction that, that other people have taken with respect to the Dutch reach in, in particular has been to, to go to the legislature and, and try to get uh, something done there. Um, you know, for, for, for my part, I, I just thought this was something interesting and, and was asking the question, you know, do you teach this? And if not, why? You know, whether, whether I invest in, in really taking this in, as, a, as a thing that Denver and maybe even the state of Colorado need to do, I, I haven't really decided yet. Yeah, because Massachusetts, as far as I know, is the only state that has actually included the Dutch Reach as part of their driver's manual. Ha, ha, do, do you have any interest maybe on taking it a little bit higher and going and maybe contacting your state legislator and and then going from there and maybe getting it included in the uh, state um, driver's manual? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's that's definitely worth reaching out to them about, and I, I intend to do that. And I wanted to ask you, what's your what's your background profession? Is this just because you're a biker and you, and you've been thinking about it? Is it a, is just something that you're passionate about? Oh yeah, I'm a software engineer. So this is this is just something that I I care about on the side, and and I think is just important to to me for the long term. Fantastic, David. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, so there it is, the Dutch Reach. Um, I, I, I'll give it a try, I guess, if I ever park in the bike lanes. I can't promise that I'll ever do it. Um, it did feel awkward when I thought about doing it. It, it. it seems like you would have to do it a lot to make it second nature. I, I'd agree with that. And I think more than the Dutch Reach, the point is look before you open your door. Right. Like, just look before you open your door. I can't believe how many people don't offer up that common courtesy. And like David said, it, it really is incumbent on the driver opening the door to not door a, a person right. on a bike or a scooter, whatever the case may be, because those people are not going to be the ones getting the ticket. It's, it'll be the person opening the car door. So, mm -hmm. And those are the people that are going to be getting hurt. I mean, your car door is going to get hurt, but that can be repaired. It's going to be awkward to drive without a door for a while. 
be like you have a Jeep. I mean, we've seen the videos of people just taking a door right off its hinges because they they're right. opening it into the middle of the street. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll see. It would. I I I forgot to ask David this, but I. And maybe he didn't have any insight, but I would think because I asked him about the backseat people supposed to be doing the same thing. I, I don't know how I can get my kids to think about doing that, it, especially Jolene, the seven-year-old. There's no way that she's – I would just tell, I would just have to tell her to stop, don't open the door, and wait for Daddy to open the door uh, and make sure that it's clear. Um, and maybe that would be the solution to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see where it goes. Yes, we we'll, will. Maybe we'll check back in with him and see if he uh, gets any of those uh, driving schools to return an email or if he decides to call them and see what they say. We never found out why it's the Dutch Reach either. Uh, no, it started in uh, it started in the Netherlands. Let's take it back, man, the Denver Reach. De- All right, let's do that. Okay. We'll call it the Denver Reach. Perfect. Well, that's about it for the uh, episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for being here. We will, uh, of course, take your questions, comments, and concerns. You can drop them into the Twitter machine. Um, that will then tweet us at Denver 7 Traffic. Rate, review, repeat. Oh, yeah, that too. Rate, review, repeat. We do need to do that. And then you are at... Uh, at Joseph Denver 7. There the you Twitter. go, on the old Twitter. And we, of course, have the email, which is Driving You Crazy Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send us more movie references. That I won't understand. It's a <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I am frontier unadvocate Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.